25 minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
J.M. and the A.M., the Friedman family, led by Avramel, of course, with Maya Didus. You heard Sheves Achim and the Shana Haba. Lama, that's a song from Yossi Green. Ohad and Lamelech, except Saturday had Lachado Di. You heard the Eitan, excuse me, the Eitan Katz Lachado Di. Yaakov Shweki, Kamu Vaneha. I love playing that song on a Friday. Such a beautiful tune out of the Asia's Chayel selection. Shlomo uh, Katz with Big Lal Ovos and, of course, Regesh. Moda Ani opening things up. And we say good morning, JM and the AM. Welcome to a Friday on this February the 19th, day 10 in the month of Adar 1, the year 5776, Tavshin Ayin Vav. Shabbos Parshas Titzaveh with candle lighting time at 516 on this Erev Shabbos. 516 on this Erev Shabbos. And if the calendar is not moving fast enough for you, Purim Katan is this coming Tuesday, believe it or not. Purim Katan. This coming Tuesday, 26 degrees, pretty chilly out there. The wind chill at 18 with 56% humidity. Winds in northeast at 8 miles per hour, mostly cloudy with a high temperature of 39. Then tonight, clouds and a low of 36. Tomorrow looks like a pretty warm Shabbos in this area for this time of year. Partly cloudy with a high temperature of 57 degrees. Yerushalayim is at 72. We're at 26 with a wind chill of 18 here in Jersey City as we say good morning. At JM in the AM. Plenty more coming up here. Uh, Malcolm Honeline about an hour from now with a weekly update. We'll go through some of the events of this week. Uh, we've got the um, Torah portion done by Rabbi Yudin, of course, coming up at about 8.15. Wrap up the week at 9 o'clock and then get into our jmnam.org NSN programming on our stream at jmnam.org and the NSN app. So a whole great day coming at you. Make sure you have your app. Make sure you have your phone. Make sure you're at your computer and enjoy a great Erev Shabbos with us at JM in the AM. Uh, I want to thank our friends at Mayanot Yeshiva High School. Great broadcast yesterday from the Beit Midrash of Mayanot in Teaneck, New Jersey. Had a chance to meet some great students and faculty. I want to welcome, or I want to thank them rather, for the big welcome they gave us at JM in the AM for the, uh, for the broadcast. And I thank all of you for tuning in and being part of... Uh, our exploration of yet another amazing school in our yeshiva high schools of this area. It was a great visit to Mayanot Yeshiva High School, to Mrs. Kahan and the entire administration and faculty and students. I say thank you from all of us here at JM in the AM. More coming up. Here's Simcha Liner.
J.M. and the A.M. Baruch Levine, Yom Zed, that's from the uh, CD entitled Bunny Matem, brand new and a really nice Arab Shabbos selection. Oh, my God, before that with Ashrei, New Year, Simcha Liner, Birchas Habbanim, here at J.M. and the A.M. Friday morning on this Arab Shabbos, Parshas Titzaveh, candle lighting at 516 on this Arab Shabbos, 516. We're in the month of Adar 1, and believe it or not, this coming Tuesday is Purim Katan. The calendar just keeps on moving. 26 degrees with 18 is the wind chill, mostly cloudy and a high temperature of 39. Tonight clouds and a low of 36. Tomorrow partly cloudy, a high all the way to 57. Thank God for that. <laughs> Yushalayim is at 72. We're at 26 with a wind chill of 18. Here on a Friday morning, Erev Shabbos at JM in the AM. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM Dial Broadcasting Live, 
from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey, around the world on the web, jmdm.org. We, uh, uh, we have our news from Israel coming up. Is that a fact? Let's just check that out. Do we have our news from Israel coming up? Hmm. Certainly hope so. Seems like we're having a little bit of a technical problem. We've had some technical difficulties over the last couple of days that have prevented us from presenting our news. We'll see if we can get... Oh, there we go. News from Israel is next. Great day on our stream all day long at jamnam.org and, of course, uh, on the NSN app. We'll get into details about that coming up. Weekly update about 40 minutes away. We're by Uden about one hour and 15 minutes away with the Torah portion. It's a Friday at JM in the AM. Gali Tzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast next on a Friday at JM in the AM. Gali Tzal, Hashah Ashtayim. Kan Aviyah Malka, Ima Shekorah Akshav. Halach Leulamo, Hasachkan Havatik Yossi Graber, Vehu Ben Shmuni Mushtayim. Katavenu Efi Ben Avraham. Yossi Graber, Aya Meavnei Ayesod Shel Ateatron Ha-Israeli. Od Kenar, Ishtatef Betaskitei Ha-Radio Shel Kol Yerushalayim Ha-Mandatori, Uvehatsagot Ateatron Ha-Hoel. הוא ייזכר בזכות שורה של תפקידים, בטלוויזיה, בצריף של תמריה נגר, בתיאטרון במר גרין ובימי שלישי עם מורי, ובקולנוע בתור גולה שטחמן בקזבלן. בשנים האחרונות הלכה ועבדה ראייתו של גראבר, אך הוא התעקש להמשיך ולהופיע על הבמות. בשנת 2012 זכה בפרס התיאטרון הישראלי על מפעל חייו. ביום ראשון יוצב ארונו לפנות צהריים על בימת הקאמרי אחת בתל אביב. לפני שנתיים נערך לכבודו של גראבר אירוע הוקרה בתיאטרון הקאמרי בתל אביב לרגל יום הולדתו ה-80 להנחיית רבקה מיכאלי. פשוט שרדתי כנראה בגלל האהבה למקצוע, ההתמדה, האמונה והמחשבה החיובית. קצת הכישרון, משהו. כן, משהו. ביקורת כישרון. בכל אופן... אני לא מעז לומר להתראות ביום הולדת ה-90, אבל... מה זאת אומרת? כתבתנו שני בירנבוים שוחחה עם השחקנים יפתח קליין וטיקי דיין. אני בשוק, אני בשוק. הוא שיחק עד הימים האחרונים, ואנחנו היינו בטוחים שהוא עובר את זה. זה לא יאומן. האיש הזה פשוט הוא לא יאומן, זה אגדה. הרצינות שבה הוא התייחס למקצוע... אהבה אמיתית לשחקנים, ועדיין בתוך זה עם עין ביקורתית וחכמה וממזרית. הלווייתו של יוסי גראבר תתקיים ביום ראשון, בשעה שלוש אחרי הצהריים, בבית העלמין האזרחי מנוחה נכונה בכפר סבא. בלוב, לפחות ארבעים הרוגים בתקיפות מהאוויר של ארצות הברית נגד דאעש. תאו וייס. על פי הדיווח בניו יורק טיימס תקפו מטוסי קרב אמריקנים יעדים של ארגון המדינה האסלאמית בלוב לפחות 40 בני אדם נהרגו במבצע שכובה נגד פעיל תוניסאי בכיר בארגון שאחראי לשני פיגועי טרור בצפון אפריקה בשנה שעברה. באחד מיישובי הר חברון טבע למוות תינוק שהכניס את ראשו לתוך דלי מים. כתבנו ענבל תמיר מוסר כי צוות מד"א ביצע בתינוק בן שנה ורבע פעולות החייאה, אך נאלץ לבסוף לקבוע את מותו. אין חשד לפלילים. מזג האוויר, התקררות הדרגתית שתימשך גם בשבת, בימים ראשון ושני, יהיה חורפי. 
אלה מועדי כניסת השבת פרשת תצווה בירושלים בארבע וחמישים ושלוש דקות, בתל אביב בחמש ושמונה דקות, בחיפה בארבע וחמישים ושמונה דקות, בבאר שבע בחמש ואחת עשרה דקות, ובאילת תיכנס השבת בשעה חמש ושתים עשרה דקות. אלה החדשות שעורך עומר בן רובי, בצוות אור שפירא ויואב כהן. שבת שלום. Good evening. 
Hashem, I'm a 
you. Oh, oh, oh. 
The Adidim Choir, that's called Curry Bone here at JM in the AM. Vishamru Shalshelas Jr. off the brand new Thankful CD. It's Huck Fuchs and Kolot. Eighth day had the Kalbach medley. Yehuda Green had Huelo Kenu and Aryeh Kunstler opened up that set with Mizmor Shear. JM in the AM weekly update coming up. Malcolm Holmline is in Israel. He's in the Holy Land. It's Arab Shabbos Parshas Titzava with candle lighting at 516. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to JM in the AM. We have an amazing day on our stream all day long. Um, here at jmandtheam.org and on the NSN app. I'll remind you about that in just a moment.
I um, <laughs> okay. I'll remind you about that right now. <laughs> I thought I'd be reminding you about that in just a moment. Uh, coming up right after JM in the AM. Naomi Nachman, table for two with Chef Brian Gurka of Milt's Barbecue for the Perplexed. Schiffer and Shlomo Klein from Joy of Kosher Magazine. Sharona Bensour, owner of the Olive Tree, with her executive, executive chef Christian Duardo. That's all happening between 9 and 10 this morning on Table for Two with Naomi Nachman right after JM in the AM. The NSN of Shabbos Music Mix brought to you by Kedem goes from 10 a.m. all the way until candle lighting time. Saturday night, Siegel tomorrow night will feature great music, plus Rabbi Eliezer Zwickler on the Torah portion of the week starting at 9 p.m. Eternal Flame with Rabbi Jacobson at 10 o'clock. Headlines with David Lichtenstein tomorrow night at 11 o'clock. J.M. Sunday, Matis will discuss Dove Lippmann's brand new book with him. It's called An American M.K., Behind the Scenes in the 19th Knesset. Dove Lippmann is Matis's guest this coming uh, Sunday. And, of course, a great Sunday music mix and plenty going on all through Sunday on our stream at uh, jmnam.org and on the NSN app. So make sure to be tuned in. And make sure to enjoy. Um, congratulations to the Yeshiva University Maccabees. Oh, and it's a big congratulations. For the first time in 16 years, they'll be hosting a postseason Skyline Conference playoff game. For the first time in 16 years. The Yeshiva University Maccabees, congratulations to uh, Elliot Steinmetz, their coach, all the players, the entire university. A home playoff game is coming up uh, at YU, which is really cool. And as we said, it's the first time it's happening in uh, 16 years, which is really, really neat. So congratulations from all of us here at JMNAM. Arab Shabbos Parshas Titzava with candlelighting at 516 on this Arab Shabbos. Malcolm Holine is coming up. He is still in Israel, so we get an opportunity to speak with him from the Holy Land. Um, he'll be coming up and joining us here at JM in the AM with the weekly update and plenty more. And um, keep it here at JM in the AM for that and more between now and 9 a.m.
J.M. and the A.M. with Miami. Mayim Hashem. Candlelighting at 516 on this era of Shabbos Parshas. Tetzaveh, Malcolm, Homelines in Israel. We'll get to him in a moment. Weekly update for you here at J.M. and the A.M. I want to thank our friends at JewishWorldReview.com who continue to enthusiastically recommend us and our incredible live stream at jmdm.org and on the NSN app to their hundreds of thousands of readers. You want to print out a million articles about Israel and the Jewish world before Shabbos? Go to JewishWorldReview.com. Also want to thank our friends at OnlySimchas.com. They've gone way beyond Simchas, as we know, and they have a great news section. And they've been featuring a whole bunch of our great material, including some of the material from our trip to Israel last week and so much more. Want to th- thank you, OnlySimchas.com. Want to thank our friends at Mayanot Yeshiva High School. A great visit there yesterday as they get ready for their big 20th anniversary dinner. Mayano 20th Anniversary Dinner happens on Saturday night, March the 5th at Keter Torah on Romer Avenue in Teaneck, New Jersey. Make sure you get your reservations in. Go to mayanote.org or dial 201-833-4307. 201-833-4307 for that. Looking forward to tomorrow night at Manhattan Day School. Rabbi Besser says it's going to be an incredible presentation. I have a feeling he's 100% right. Baruch Levine is going to be the featured entertainer for all the... Uh, Young men and the fathers and the grandfathers, the Dora Lador, Malava Malka, tomorrow night at the uh, Manhattan Day School for boys in grades 4 through 8, and we are looking forward to it. Information, 212-376-6390, 212-376-6390. The Shoot for Shalom basketball tournament happens at Hoop Group headquarters in Neptune, New Jersey, this coming Sunday. Congrats to all the teams. If you haven't sponsored a team yet, you can go to the Seagull team. I believe it's under the NSN banner. Uh, shootforshalom.com, shootforshalom.com. It'll make uh, Benjamin Yosef and Yoshua very, very happy <laughs> if you sponsor them in that tournament, I can tell you that much. So that's happening there, and you can enjoy um, that presentation. Oh, and don't forget that the Lincoln Square Synagogue has the Lemmer Brothers and Soul Farm and Chazen Sherwood Goffin and the Shlemy Dax Orchestra and comedian Mark Wiener. All tomorrow night, Lincoln Square in association with OHEL and OHELfamily.org. Their third annual benefit concert happens tomorrow night at Lincoln Square Synagogue. Go to lss.org slash concert, lss.org slash concert for more information. Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations and joins us for the weekly update from beautiful Jerusalem here at JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. It's always good to be with you, and especially looking out over sunny, warm Yerushalayim, which is, the weather's been gorgeous here all week. Yeah, you've had a good week. Boy, yep, the, you, get, yeah, you, get better we- you get better weather luck than we do when we travel. <laughs> we, <laughs> we, br- we bring the snow and rain, and I know the rain is a bracha. I don't have to hear from everybody who always criticizes me for bringing it up, but we always bring the snow and rain, and you seem to have... Great sunshine. You're, you're, the mission ends now. Is the, are these the final couple of days? The mission ended late last night. We had, as you know, the first week in Turkey and Cairo, in, in uh, Istanbul and Ankara, then on to Cairo. And then we started Sunday afternoon. And 75 speakers later, we concluded last night. Wow, a lot of speeches, a lot of things to say, I guess, about what's going on in this well, world, huh? Especially not as all, all the speakers were the same. We were yesterday morning up on the Golan in, on the Syrian border, we went to the Lebanese border with the commanders in the north to see firsthand the ISIS, the Hezbollah outposts, what's going on there. You see the terrain, you get a 
very different picture than normally we would. We had many different kinds of formats, not only having the prime minister and president and everybody else, uh, every key minister, uh, but we had some really in-depth uh, uh, events. We had the, the head of the Air Force spoke, the head of military intelligence, will give you a different perspective, the Minister of Justice, the Minister, you know, Bennett and uh, Lapid and uh, the leader of the opposition, Herzog, and the mayor of Yerushalayim. And then, we, as I said, we go out to different places at the foreign ministry where they had simultaneous briefings with all the top experts on different issues that, that we're dealing with. Or at Bar-Ilan University last night when we concluded with the defense minister of Greece and the foreign minister uh, uh, Terzi, the former foreign minister of Italy, and then we had and other people, almost Gilad and Iran Lerman. Uh, so we really had a very varied and uh, very exciting and informative trip. Hope you had a chance to wish the Prime Minister Mazal Tov and his newest grandchild. Actually, we, it happened after he had already appeared at the conference. I sent him a message, but this is his third grandchild from his daughter from his first marriage, and. Uh, She's uh, religious and lives in one of the suburbs of Jerusalem. The um, I, I, we have a lot to talk about, and we could spend an entire show on the whole list of things you just mentioned. We'll get to some of them coming up. I'm just curious: is there is there any fascination with former Prime Minister Ehud Olmert entering prison this week, or it sort of was just another news story? No, not at all. I think it's um, it has since the beginning captivated people. Uh, in fact, there was a poll that just came out a few minutes ago, uh, at least I saw it a few minutes ago, that the, um, that said that the majority of Israelis would like to see him live, uh, complete the full term, 19 months. People are tired of the corruption and, and the scandals that involve government officials. Uh, look, it happens in every country, but in Israel it's, you know, becomes a national trauma. And, um, I, I think that people who respect him and, uh, what, you know, his contributions over the years, but still this is, uh, you know, it's a very serious thing, and they feel it's an embarrassment to the state when high-level officials get, and I think he's the first sitting prime, uh, the first prime minister right. to actually go to jail. Yeah, understood. Um, we uh, And one other thing before we go back to that list, as I alluded to, we, we hear more again in the news yesterday about the stabbings in Israel, and I know that I mean, this this was the purpose of our whole trip last week was to encourage tourism and to remind everybody that all these places that are hit by by terror they are you know obviously in the minority. Uh, the mayor of Jerusalem joined us on the air last Thursday, reiterated how you know percentage wise and numbers wise the chances of something happening to somebody in Israel uh, in Jerusalem specifically is so much less than any other western city including new york if his if his statistics are correct nonetheless there is this i don't know frustration that i continue to bring up to you that i think both israelis and those who observe the news closely from israel have and that is that it just seems there's no answer there's no end in sight there's no solution that can quell these types of things especially with the incitement at the level that it's at I know that, you know, I, I may frustrate you by always bringing this up, because I don't know if there's a good answer, but in the light of yesterday's news, is there anything to say about it? Look, there were several incidents again today, and they're going to continue, and especially if they think 
that they can hurt tourism, if they can hurt Israel economically, if it's having an impact. And what we have to show is that we have the resolve and the determination not to allow that to happen, that we're going to stand up to it. And, and as you said, 99.9% of the country doesn't know anything that's going on. You don't see it. You don't feel it. You walk the streets. It's safe. There are incidents. You have to be alert. But, uh, frankly, no more so than when you walk in any street today, anywhere in the world, where you see in, in Brooklyn also attacks or any place uh, uh, here. Obviously, there's a political motivation and, and different people. And one of the cases was a 50-year-old year old woman, woman, Palestinian woman, and another one was um, were two guys in their 20s. Uh, and, uh, you know, the people were only uh, lightly hurt, by and large, as far as we know from the... Um, uh, from the stabbings, uh, but Israel is doing a great job in preventing most of the attacks. They have uh, great intelligence, so I think overall people can be secure in coming and visiting and traveling around. I brought 105 people here the last uh, week or so. Many of them are staying on, and I, I've not heard one word of concern or fear about security, about other things. When we traveled in other countries, we had police cars in front of us and back of us. And here we travel like human beings and normal people. Yeah, understood. Just got to convince more and more people of that, that's all. Also, um, the uh, <laughs> I'm getting the feeling, we touched on this a little bit last week, as the uh, you know the debates and the primaries were heating up. And I asked you last week about uh, you know the Sanders victory in the primary or, or sort of victory, depending on how you look at it. Uh, him being a Jewish candidate, obviously. I, I think one thing we're learning, and you mentioned last week how there's a fascination in Israel with the primaries and the whole process that's going on now in the United States for the 2016 election, which is somewhat understandable. But what might add to that fascination is it seems, and Donald Trump this week might you know, have a role in this because of how he announced his neutrality, so to speak, on Israel and Palestine, it seems that we really don't know, and I don't know if this is fair to Hillary or not, because she's been in the process a long time, so maybe this is an unfair statement when it comes to her. We really don't know the position on Israel of anybody that's in this race at this point. And that's really unusual, wouldn't you say, for a process to be this close, I know we're far away, but yet this close to a general election and really have no no, uh, you know, realistic idea of how a candidate would behave vis-a-vis Israel. You're raising a, a complicated point, because one, foreign policy overall has had minimal relevance. Two, we don't know the positions on a lot of important issues. Uh, people have talked about their positions in Syria, on Syria, etc. I think for many, the Republican candidates have long history, long records. Rubio... Um, um, Cruz, others, because they were in the Senate, you know what their votes were. With Hillary, you know what she did as Secretary of State and as a senator. Right. So it's not; those are not unknowns. Uh, I think many people don't know where Bernie Sanders stands. They certainly don't have a, a clear picture of where Trump, who claims to be friendly with Bibi and uh, who has avoided taking, I think, a clear position on some of the issues when he's been pressed. But overall, foreign policy issues have not really coalescent, as have not really been given the priority. Now, I think that will change if these 
primaries come closer to Florida, New York, New Jersey, other places where they're going to have to start talking about Israel. And, you know, the domestic agenda has been dominant, and that was expected. And I think it was true in the last election as well, that the foreign policy issues are not uh, really the preeminent issues. And given the state of the world, and the you know, Middle East in uproar, the whole world in uproar, actually, um, and those volcanic, uh, volcanic uh, eruptions that are taking place here and, and elsewhere, that that one would expect that there would be a greater uh, emphasis given to the issue. So I think while all the candidates would profess to be pro-Israel and want to strengthen the U.S.-Israel relationship, I think many of them have said it, uh, the question of what they really mean by it is something that will have to be clarified, I think, in the coming months. J.M. and Weekly Update, Malcolm Honline Live in Israel. Uh, yeah, last time around we had a, you know, a track record of a president uh, who everyone could evaluate, you know, after four years and decide one way or the other. But I think you're right. I think uh, that your clarification of what I said might be, might be the way to look at it. Because the, the Sanders-Trump, um, uh, element in this election, you know, two high-profile people at this point, you know, both of whom were really not sure where they stand. I guess that's what's really throwing everybody off. When it comes to former senators and secretaries of state, I guess it is a bit easier. Any thoughts on the passing of Antonin Scalia? He has been, I, I never even realized until his passing, the the um, um, connection that he had, you know, with the Jewish community and how many people, you know, judged the way that he judged uh, based on, on Jewish law, frankly, sometimes. It is true, and I remember his citations and having heard him once speak about it and make reference uh, to, uh, to Jewish law, Talmudic law. Um, he had very close associations. He was a great jurist, and I think his passing is a great loss. Regardless of whether you're left or right, everybody should recognize that this was a, a great jurist, and, um, you know, it's going to be hard to replace him. Do you have as much fun as I have watching uh, uh, those who are on one side of the political aisle call for the president to immediately name a success, nominate a successor and others to to ask him to do the right thing and wait until he's not a lame duck president to do so? Isn't there some humor in that? <laughs> I don't know if it's entertaining, but <laughs> you have to have a black sense of humor, I guess. I'll tell you. The, the, the hypocrisy is that some people who argued in the past for it and against <laughs> it, and uh, the idea that we leave it to the American people, you know, it's a year is a long time. Uh, there is a case to be made that with an election and the heat of an election, should you make such an appointment, but it's certainly within the presidential powers, and it's going to be in Congress's power to reject or accept. So I, I don't know, you know, that the debate is useful when they say, uh, when people are advocating and, and arguing so vociferously about delaying the process when it's quite apparent that the president has no intention to do it. Malcolm Holine is in Israel. My name is Nahum Siegel, the weekly update. You'll have it in your uh, in the app in its entirety Right, almost right after its conclusion, if you missed anything so far, or we'll or plan on missing anything if you have to tune out early. So keep that in mind. It'll all be in the NSN app and, of course, on the NahumSiegel.com website. This is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program, heard on listener-sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. You know, I, I was watching one of the pieces where you were interviewed in Israel, 
there is a fascination, uh, fascination is the wrong word, there is curiosity among Israeli journalists for good reason, like they would ask a leader, a Jewish leader from any other country, I believe, like France, England, etc., about anti-Semitism in this country. And it's, and it's, is, is it, is it, how, how do you, how do you feel when asked to defend uh, Jewish life in the United States. Because I think that's what it basically comes down to, right? The reporter is basically saying to you through this question of anti-Semitism and what's happening here in the U.S. and whether Jews are still welcome, etc. He, he, he's asking, can you defend the fact that Jews are still living in a place like the United States? Well, for some, that is an underlying current. But I think for most, there's a fascination now with the rise of anti-Semitism that we see in Europe. It is not comparable here, I say. But to deny the, the realities what's happened on American campuses, that 75% of college students, Jewish college students, say they've witnessed or experienced anti-Semitic events or um, incidents, that the, um, the numbers on, on many campuses is not a plague. This is not a, a, a comparable yet to the situation in Europe. But the BDS movement, other efforts are uh, taking hold. And, in fact, we saw in Europe this week, in uh, Great Britain, where they came out against the boycott in, in public sector and local authorities were banned, uh, and they, they came out cl- clearly against any participation uh, in, in a boycott. The Paris City Council also uh, condemned boycotts and, and, uh, and talked about them, that there could be no breaches uh, in, in the policy. And the fact that uh, the EU itself backed off in a meeting with uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu, that the uh, Mogherini of the European Union uh, said that they're not going to have a boycott, we're not going to support a boycott, this is, and, and that it will be up to individual states, which is a change, because at first they were saying every country has to do it. So that is, uh, I think, an important uh, shift in their, in their policy. Um, the fact that the the um, that the numbers of anti-Semitic incidents continue to be very high in, in Europe, and that we see increases, and the biggest thing is that the vast majority, 80% in France, go unreported, and I would bet the majority of incidents in America go unreported. People don't take the time, don't want to bother, unless, God forbid, you know, it's a very serious incident, and that's a mistake. You have to report, you have to uh, let people know, and that's the only way we'll get the resources to really, uh, to really fight it in a, in a, in a serious way. Yeah. I think law enforcement in New York and elsewhere do take it seriously. And, uh, you know, incidents are, are dealt with and, and people are apprehended. But there is a, a phenomenon ha- taking place that we can't ignore, and we have to look for ways to, to assure that Jewish students are secure, that their institutions are secure as best as possible. And, and and this can't be swept under the rug. And I saw you were asked again about the uh, uh, Obama-Netanyahu relationship or maybe a more general, you know, U.S. administration, Israeli administration relationship. Uh, do, do you sometimes find yourself in February of 2016 wanting to say to these reporters, you know what, <laughs> it's almost over, <laughs> enough about this already, <laughs> we'll, we'll, be on, we'll, we'll be on to new leadership soon, you don't see much changing between the U.S. and Israel? Yes, I, I do think so, but I also think that this is going to be, a, there's a long year ahead, and that this president is not going to become a lame duck president, as others, some others haven't, and some have, 
that I think he's going to, you know, be president until the 11 hours and 59 minutes in, in before his, January 20th. And I think he's, he is, uh, that we have to look at the nature of the relationship, which takes on even greater significance when you, as we did yesterday, go to the borders, when we met with the top experts, we even had people from Syria. We spoke to generals on the front line fighting in Syria uh, during our conference. And when you see the ISIS uh, continue to, to uh, be active, you know, it's, their efforts are diminished. You've got uh, uh, so many destabilizing factors now in the region, part of which is driving Arab countries to reassess their relationship with Israel in a much more positive way right. when the countries that face the ISIS the growth of ISIS and spread and the renewal of al-Qaeda, for instance, in Libya or in the Sinai and the, the Houthis in Yemen. When you see Iran's growing role and the fear of what will happen when the money, the huge sums of money start to really flow, I'm not convinced that that will be the case, and I'm not sure how it will impact. Uh, but I think banks and others are reluctant to, to get into the deals with them, and the oil income will be less than... Uh, what they anticipated when the price is a third of what it was when they went out of the business. But the other factors that play into to it also, the global terrorism, the Sunni-Shiite battles, the fights between uh, Russia and, and Turkey, between um, Saudi Arabia and Iran, and people taking sides, and they look at their domestic situations, the economic problems that they face, the tourism problems that they face, and they look at a country who offers a solution, and I think the Mediterranean relationship that I spoke about briefly last week, but talked about for many years here, and have been trying to push it in meetings with leaders in, in Italy, France, Spain, in Italy, Spain, uh, Greece, Cyprus, etc. And now is really taking hold. And even President Sisi said to us when we raised it that he is partnered to it also. So if you have uh, you have the cornerstones uh, laid with Egypt, Israel, Cyprus, Greece maybe Italy, Malta, I think Morocco, eventually Tunisia, others could come into it, it will, it will create a new dynamic. And the Turks look at this and say, you know, they don't want to be outside of this, this kind of a, of a situation. And it takes, it gives Israel a, a, a platform that is not tied into the volcano of the Middle East and to the disruptions in Europe. The fight between Russia and Turkey is very serious. I mean, there are potential incidents uh, that uh, could be co could have really serious implications ultimately I think both are trying to contain it I don't think that um, you know that Putin is going to lift the ban on tourism which has had a devastating impact in Turkey where there are a thousand hotels are for sale now along the beaches uh, I think that ISIS despite the fact that they've cut their salaries and they have a uh, they're releasing people who pay five hundred dollars uh, penalty to, to get out because they're busy trying to, to raise money. The, uh, that still doesn't demean the seriousness of that, what they're able to do and the fact that they're present in some uh, 40, 50 countries today and, and at least 31 recognized branches which pose a danger to all the countries in common. And, and when they look at this assessment, uh, they say, wait a second, there's one source, one stable place in this whole region. And there's no other. Nasrallah can threaten the ammonia, ammonium um, tanks in, in Haifa, but everybody knows that he says, first, I'm not interested in a war with Israel now. Then he goes on to, 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 to this bravado. But it's clear that they're not looking for a conflict. They know what Israel could do, and they're not 
looking to to uh, expose that right now. So you have a, a whole series, and it's only the tip of the iceberg right. uh, that I can do now, but to see the complexity of the region and you see the role of the different parties and, Amer- and the perception that the West is is minimally involved and comes in late uh, to the situation of the aggressiveness of, of Putin's uh, involvement, certainly in Syria, uh, the arms sales that the proposed arms sales to, to Iran and others, all, all of these things. You know, Iran is talking about an eight billion dollar package. They're still talking about the getting F three hundred AT aircraft system, and the Russians said, "Wait, they're not getting it until you pay for it." So you have to be careful not to fall into the trap of, of buying every story, but to know and to understand how complex the situation is, and that there are positive signs. Nachum, you know that in Egypt yesterday they started using textbooks that talk about the peace treaty with Israel Wow! and said that they ended the state of war. You didn't see that in the front page of the Times today? Huh. No. Close that doesn't thing. get news. But that is a dramatic move. You know, when, when we complain all the time about the textbooks, and we did it with Mubarak for many years, and we did it afterwards, but here quietly, they instituted a change. And it says there that uh, they ended the state of war with Israel. And Egyptian students are, for the first time, reading this and seeing this. So, you know, there, there's so much happening. It's such a complex region, and, and we saw it when we were in Turkey. We saw it in Egypt, and certainly you see it here. Yeah. Talking to the, the experts and people we brought from around the world who, who came and, and, and talked about how everybody perceives this. And and, and two... No, as I say, and two observations based on what you just said that I wanted to make. And the the, fir- the first is we just don't realize the 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 image of the muscle flexing that Israel has in the Middle East. I mean, we just don't realize, you know, as you said, if, if you if if you expect Iran to not want to get into a conflict with Israel for any other reason other than what they know about what Israel is capable of doing, you're 100 percent wrong. It's only because they know what Israel is capable of doing, and sometimes we forget that, of course. And the other thing was, you know, you mentioned Turkey and, and Russia. Israel, and, 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 and this is only going to get worse, their relationship, right? I mean, you'd suspect it's only going to get worse mm-hmm. at this point. Israel has an interest in staying friendly with both of them, wouldn't you say? Interest, Israel has an interest has in, to, in, in, has in, in strategic offense in relations in each of them. You know, the, there was a report today that Lavrov, the foreign minister of Russia, uh, told Dory Gold, the, the director general of Israel's foreign ministry, who visited Moscow this week, that they frowned upon uh, invol- allowing Turkey to play a role in Gaza. And essentially, somebody said that they would run to the Russians, said they would block it. And they said, how? And they said, because we have influence with Israel. Um, but you know, the animosity with, with Turkey is very great, and it's playing out. And in, in this particular context, you know, where Turkey... And Erdogan, President Erdogan, said it to us and offered his eight-point plan and wants to get very involved in the in the uh, Gaza situation. Here, are the Russians coming and saying, "Hey, not so fast. We're not going to look favorably uh, on it." And the uh, the risk that you could have any kind of uh, incident that that you know blows things out of proportion. I think the Russians uh, did not respond as some believe they would militarily to the uh, when the shooting down of their but they're waiting for an apology, and they're not going to yield on this, and they took a lot of economic steps that are having a, a serious impact. Wow. 
Uh, you mentioned that you were up north. Uh, ISIS, uh, you were you were shown by the generals up north in terms of where uh, different ISIS camps uh, are strategically, right? Is that what you told us? Yes, sir. And and we, we you could see even with the naked eye, let alone with uh, binoculars, where uh, they are, what kind of infrastructure they have. We did not uh, see any tunnels, and we've asked that question repeatedly, and they say that they have no evidence yet of tunnels. The terrain is different, obviously, than uh, it is in, uh, in from Gaza into Israel, um, and there's a lot of speculation this week about that. Israel has developed some new technologies, clearly, and there have been the collapse of a couple tunnels, uh, whether work accidents or induced accidents, we don't know. But uh, the fact is that, uh, that several uh, this has happened several times. The, um, the, the analysis of what's going on there with the foreign fighters that have come to Syria, that you have 8,000 Hezbollah, you have uh, thousands of Iranians, you have 6,000 Iraqis, you have I don't know, 4,000 Afghanis, uh, all fighting in, in, in Syria. You have the 100 rebel groups, you have such an array of fighters, let alone ISIS, with its uh, tens of thousands of fighters uh, there. And now we see in Libya the same situation being replicated with the influx of uh, ISIS fighters, which I talked about already a couple of weeks ago. And, and now with uh, the development of al-Qaeda uh, organizations in, uh, in, in Syria, in uh, Libya, and this is a threat, obviously, to Egypt, a threat to Africa, but it's also a threat to Europe because it's 300 miles all across the water to to Crete and to to European uh, territory. But that, but that's what it, that's what led to my question and my observation about what you saw, uh, you know, from the Israeli border. You know, we read about the U.S. striking the ISIS camp in Libya uh, and uh, taking out some key operative by the way, by the way in that operation. And it, it would just seem, in, again, arm, armchair general here, simple guy trying to figure it out. Uh, if Israel knows and can identify, you know, where these ISIS camps are, why isn't Israel, for instance, striking them at this point? And if the United States can identify those in Libya and other places like that, why aren't they taking more of an active role? Well, first of all, in terms of Israel, Israel was not going to strike out against anybody that isn't challenging them. Right now, ISIS is not threatening Israel. There was a report of a, an attack this week against uh, terrorists, uh, uh, in in by air near Damascus, uh, clearly then that would have had to be coordinated with the Russians if if it in fact uh, took place. I've spoken to people about it, so um, it, it, it was uh, if it took place, it was targeting particular terrorists and maybe shipments. And Israel has acted consistently to prevent the uh, additional weapons or more sophisticated weapons getting to Nasrallah and to the uh, Hezbollah, but. You know, obviously some stuff does get through, and that's how they got 100,000 missiles there. Um, so you, you, the situation is, is very complex. But the United States uh, has conducted and today can carried out some bombing raids. They do bomb ISIS. But for Israel, Israel's interest is in staying out of this. They don't want to be drawn into the war. They don't want to take sides in the war. Their interest is seeing uh, Iran, uh, Syria try to retain some wholeness that... You don't have a total disintegration, which could mean not only the outflow of many more, refu- uh, many more uh, refugees into the neighboring countries. Jordan is already at the tipping point. They can't take any more. 
Um, the, the rest of the world doesn't seem to want them, and, and Turkey is being told to close its border, and it's closing its border in places. So for the United, for Israel, its interest is protecting its border to make sure that they don't come closer, the ISIS or others. The fighting is only you know 20 miles or less away from the Israeli border. You can see the smoke. You can see something. You can hear uh, the explosions and sometimes a, a cannon, uh, cannon fire, uh, the noise from it. So for Israel, what it wants is for everybody to stay away. It made it clear when it hit those that, that group that included an Iranian general a couple of months ago. For the United States, the interests are different. And here you have competing interests of the United States and Russia, France, and others. Egypt, for instance, and a lot of other countries want Assad to stay, meaning the Russians-Iranian coalition. Turkey and the United States and have said that they have to go. Whether they can find a compromise, the negotiations are supposed to begin again today about the Syrian ceasefire. We'll have to see where it stands. But there's nobody who has any surety about what direction that will t- take. And uh, But a complete collapse, a further collapse, as it is already happening, of Syria can only be detrimental. And, and there's nobody who's optimistic that Syria can be put back together again, certainly not for maybe decades. Libya will not be able to be put back together again. Uh, and um, and these things, you know, feed the ISIS and others, and they're now seeking to take territorial advantage, and you see the spread of the hold that these uh, different factions have, let alone the Kurds, who Turkey is bombing in, uh, in, in Iraq and, uh, and in Syria, uh, blaming them for the explosion yesterday in um, Tehran that took uh, 26 lives and many wounded. Um, so everybody, every country has an agenda that's unique to it, and at the same time, they're all interrelated in this patchwork yeah. in the Middle East that is such a maze. And people always look for simplistic solutions when you have such complexities and, and ask, well, why don't they just you know, wipe them off the map? Because you can't just wipe off the map. And what are you going to do about all the civilian casualties? How are you going to yeah. address? Well, I'm, we have to see. To- you're more than being simplistic. I, I'm. I'm. I guess I'm more curious. I think a lot of our listeners are also curious if you foresee that Israel will be a key in the eventual military battle against ISIS. Like, can can they stay out of that? Like you just said, hey, if Israel's not engaged, you know, no, no one's starting up with them. They have no no reason, so to speak, to go and take out anything, even if it's twenty miles away from where they are. But we wonder about the future whether Israel, along with what will be, I guess, Arab allies and other allies, will will play a role militarily in uh, in uh, taking out ISIS. I think that's a critical question. Can Israel stay out of it? A, it's, it's in an interest to stay out of it. It doesn't want to sacrifice its guys. And, uh, you know, Israel is doing a lot. Uh, we saw the, how they take Syrians across the border for treatment every night. They line up at the fence, and they take them for medical treatment. They have tried to um, protect the Druze population from coming under fire. It's one of the conditions, Israel said. So the things that are contingent to their border, that could like to fight the fires uh, against them. Uh, so right now, the interest of all the parties is in gaining foothold and broadening their holds within Syria. So nobody has an interest right now taking on Israel and risk getting decimated. And that includes uh, Hezbollah. But that could change. And it will change with time. And as if they reach a ceasefire, if they do something else, they may try to unify 
them by turning them against uh, it, by turning against Israel. Right now, that that is uh, another factor. I think could see Israel, for instance, on a specific incident. The ISIS captured an SE six mobile anti aircraft unit unit, which was American, probably took it from uh, Iraqi forces or somebody. Uh, I would see them doing something to take out a unit like that. Right. I, I would see them getting involved in in preventing uh, shipment of arms or placement of uh, of more advanced weapons closer to their border. Or if uh, you know if somebody uh, fires at Israel, right now it's the, the the border is relatively quiet. There have been no cross border incidents. There were two Russian planes that crossed over, but went a mile or two. No hostile intent. They clear clarified it. There's very good communication, so you don't have any kind of um, untoward incident <clears throat> based on uh, an overflight as they you know are fighting each other. Uh, it's so complex. If, if if I would really take the time, and maybe one time when we come in, we'll talk about how each country and each battleground is so complex. If you take any one country, take Egypt, which has to worry about the border with Sudan, which is a very troubled country, Libya, which is collapsing under the <clears throat> and and is giving a way to to reestablishing of the terrorist entities there. Um, Tunisia, which is still in flux, you, you go into Syria, which Lebanon nobody even talks about, and you, they can't agree on the president uh, uh, because the divisions within the society are so great, and the role of Hezbollah is still very, very strong in in um, in, in Lebanon, and they're fighting along the border so that they show that they're protecting Lebanon from ISIS, but at the same time there's resentment about their fighting in, in Syria. You have, they have 8,000 troops, they've lost at least Thirteen to fifteen hundred men there, and many wounded. They till now used to hide it. Now they advertise the victims because they're trying to rally public opinion. Say these are the defenders of the state. These are the people you know who rose up to stop ISIS, to stop uh, others from coming and you know raping our women and looting our cities. Uh, and and people will take advantage. Iran, Iran will take advantage of it. Those who seek to destabilize will take advantage of it. And the Gulf sees this, and that's why more and more of these countries are saying, hey, we better find some relationship with Israel. Right. And all I right. think Israel could benefit a lot from it. Uh, all right, enjoy Shabbat in Jerusalem. Not 100% sure about next week's schedule. We'll let everybody know exactly what's happening over the next couple of weeks in terms of the weekly update. Have a wonderful Shabbos, and we'll speak uh, speak Good soon time. again, Bezrat Hashem. Malcolm Holine is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. And uh, he is alive today in the holy city of Jerusalem. This time each every Friday, every Arab Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomri Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. And a reminder that Shomri Torah is hosting Schlockrock at 12 noon this coming Sunday. Check it out, Fairlawn, New Jersey, part of the Schlock Rock Tour. Their only appearance in New York, New Jersey area will be this coming Sunday at Shomre Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Titzaveh. Parshas Titzaveh contains, according to the Chinuch, seven mitzvos, four positive mitzvos, and three restrictions. Interestingly, 
the parasha has in the earlier part no less than 43 psukim that deal with the big day kahuna with the special garments that the Kohanim wore when they served in the base Hamigdash. A regular Kohen had four garments and the Kohen Godot, the high priest, had eight garments. The Torah says that these garments are to be made the Kavod Ulisifares, literally for glory, for splendor, for honor, for distinction. But I think it's very important to point out that these garments were not primarily to benefit the one who was wearing them, the Kohen. Yes, it certainly made him distinctive. Yes, the rest of the nation who utilized and designated the Kohanim as their emissaries. The Kohanim stood out, but the clothing that they wore is the Kavod Ulisifares for glory and splendor as the clothing reflected what they were doing. And namely, the garment reflects the chashivus, the importance of the act. It's not a definition of who you are, Mr. Cohen, but rather what you are doing. And here, what the Kohenim are doing is they are serving Hashem, they are His emissaries to bless the people, and they are the emissaries of the people in and on their behalf in bringing offerings and in being their representative in the Beis Hamigdash. What the Torah is telling us is that when one is involved in a holy act, when one is participating in a holy occasion, the garments that and clothing that a person wears is to reflect just that. And so we find, interestingly, coming up in the second parsha in Vayikra, where the Torah begins with what would ordinarily be called housekeeping, namely removing the ashes from the Mizbeach, from that which had accumulated during the night, Trumas Hadeshen. So the Torah tells us that this was to be performed by the Kohen wearing Big Day Kahuna. However, when he finishes this task, with which he could get dirty as a result of that which he is doing, the Torah tells us in verse 4, Ufoshat es bigodav, he shall remove those garments, the lavash bigodim 
achirim, and he shall wear other garments. And Rashi brings the teaching of Debei Rebbe Shmuel, which is as follows: Begadim shall be shall behem larabo garments in which individual was dressed when he cooked a pot of food for his master, he should not pour, while dressed in them, a cup of wine for his master, namely, he should not serve his master dressed that way. And so, one is to dress, quote, up, to and for the occasion. And therefore, what do we find in the Gemara Shabbos Kuf Yud Gimel on the Pasuk that comes from Yeshaya chapter 58, Pasuk 13, towards the end of the Haftorah for Yom Kippur morning, on the verse, V'chibadito, says another Yeshaya, you shall honor this day, in speaking of the Shabbos, Shlo yehei malbushcho shel Shabbos, kimalbushcho shel chol, that literally, your garment of Shabbos should not be like your garment during the week. Namely, that your Shabbos garment should be reflecting of the fact that Shabbos is Shabbos Kodesh. And therefore, throughout the day of Shabbos, not just when one goes to synagogue, but throughout the day, including Shabbos afternoon, and including in the summer months, when one is not in the Beis HaKnesses, this casual dress for Shabbos, while it might not be meant as a kind of um, turning one's back, a negative aspersion to, but that's exactly what it is. Throughout the day of Shabbos, one is to reflect it in his positive garments. And the Ramban, in his commentary on Vayikra, in Parshas Emor, where the Torah speaks about the Yomim Tovim as Mikro e Kodesh, so there, by definition, the Ramban is saying that on Yom Tov, one's garments is to reflect that special occasion. And therefore, it's like built in to the very definition of the day that one expresses and realizes the importance of the occasion by dressing accordingly. And we all are aware of this. Somehow, we dress differently when we go to a wedding. There's something about that very occasion that warrants certain clothing. And therefore, ideally, a Jew should have three sets of clothing if he can afford it. One, his everyday garments. Two, his Shabbos 
garments, and three, if possible, even better than the Shabbos garments, should be the Yom Tov garments if one can afford. If not, he'll wear the same garments for Shabbos and Yom Tov. But why might Yom Tov, as far as the garments go, be on a higher level? So Rav Salavechik, Zechatzadik Levracha, explained it very interestingly in the following way. Based upon the Gemara, at the end of brachos, kebeso. What does that mean? It means that on Shabbos, Hashem comes to us. Right? We know that we greet as we do in the L'chadodi L'kras Kala. We do so in our Sholem Aleichem when we greet Shabbos Malkasa. So, Clearly, on Shabbos, He, the special guest, comes to us. And so, we dress up and appropriately to greet Him. On Yom Tov, however, when the Jew went to the Beis HaMikdash, Aliyah Loregel, we go to Him at His home. And therefore, we dress even in a more special way reflecting that aspect. And what is true regarding the Kohen in the base Hamikdash, we are all Mamleches Kohanim. We are all a nation of Kohanim. And just as the Kohen washed his hands before he did his Avodah in the base Hamikdash, we wash our hands every morning, known as Negovasa, before we perform our Avodah, our service to God on a daily basis. The Gemara in Shabbos. Yud Amar Aleph 10a speaks as to way we are to prepare for our personal avoda in our Mikdash Ma'at, the way we go to shul and the way we pray. And if I can't go to shul, even the way I'm going to pray at home, I'm going to put on a special garment. I'm going to wear a jacket. I'm going to wear something which is reminding me that, ah, this jacket is the one I wear to pray because I'm about to do something special. This is based on the Pasuk in Amos, chapter 4, Pasuk 12, whereby the Navi says, Hikon, Likras, Elokachi Yisrael, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. And we prepare by wearing something special. This is recorded in the Shulchan Aruch Orachayim, Simon Tzadi Aleph, chapter 91 in the Shulchan Aruch. And I have to tell you that, think about it, no less important the way we dress when we go to shul, then think about it for a business meeting. And the whole idea of coming, quote, casually, is that the kind of, really, relationship that you have? And I can tell you, as a teacher of college students, my boys at the yeshiva, well, they dress appropriately to come to yeshiva, but when they're going on an interview, you can see they're there with a shirt and tie, clear and a jacket. Well, 
This is the same thing that we have to remind ourselves. What is davening? It's nothing less than an audience with Hashem. It's nothing less than a very special interview. And once we are here and being very honest and very open and realizing that davening in itself is so challenging to extricate ourselves from all which is going on about us and therefore very clearly those who wear a gartel are doing it for different reasons but including putting on that very special something to remind them oh, I'm about to do something different are taking three steps back and then three steps forward, again, reminding us we're about to be in capital H, His presence. I have to conclude because it really is so disturbing how, unfortunately, the smartphone and the Internet and being tied to the phone during Chazor HaShatz during the repetition of the Shemona Esrei. It is horrific. It's bringing the outside into the Beis HaKnesses, which is so wrong. Each and every shul should have a policy. Leave the phone outside. Let there be a cubby, let there be a box, let there be a system where you just leave it outside. And I really believe that even though so many have davening on their phones, yeah, you're at a wedding and there are no sedurim and the davening mincha, the davening mairiv, by all means, use your smartphone for that. You're having a meal and you don't have Birkas HaMazon, sure, use your smartphone for Birkas HaMazon. But when there is a sitter in shul to use your smartphone, unfortunately, I think it's so wrong because too easily we go from this to other things during the davening and it sets the wrong tone for which we are looking to accomplish. A very important lesson from 43 psukim that the garments of the Kohen are to be lekovot ulisiferes. What does that mean? When a Jew is in the presence of God, he realizes, wow, this is something of glory. This is of the greatest splendor. And therefore, just as when one is privileged to go to a simcha, one dresses for and appropriately for the occasion. May we realize the simcha of being before Hashem when we daven warrants for us, not because I have to, but because it's a privilege to dress, to stand before Hashem. Shabbat Shalom to all.
zachar bedivorechad. Hish mi anu kel hamiyuchad. Hashem echad ushma yachad. Hashem osiferes vilisiva. J.M. and the A.M. with Shalshelis off their volume number four here at J.M. and the A.M. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, Parshas Tetzave with candle lighting at 516. Uh, great programming, of course, coming up right after J.M. and the A.M. Naomi Nachman is going to be uh, leading another 
edition of Table for Two. Uh, today, her guests will include... Um, where are we here? Today, our guests will include uh, Brian Grieca of Milt's Barbecue for the Perplexed, Shifrin Shlomo Klein from Joy of Kosher Magazine, and Sharona Bensour, owner of the Olive Tree with her executive chef, Christian Wardo. That's all happening between 9 and 10. Table for two video for this morning is already up on the homepage at NahumSiegel.com. The NSN Arab Shabbos Music Mix brought to you by Kedem goes from 10 a.m. until candle lighting time. Saturday Night Siegel tomorrow night with Avrami featuring great Jewish music and words of Torah by Rabbi Eliezer Zwickler. It's happening between 9 and 10 tomorrow night. Eternal Flame with Ray Jacobson starting at 10 o'clock. Headlines with David Lichtenstein starting at 11. JM Sunday, Matis at 7 o'clock Sunday morning will feature Rabbi Dove Littman. who will discuss his brand new book, An American MK, Behind the Scenes in the 19th Knesset. That's happening with Rabbi Dove Littman and Matis Weingast during JM Sunday between 7 and 9 a.m. Not sure who will be here Monday yet. I'm going to take the, um, going to take the day off, see if I can finally get over this uh, cold. And I thank everybody who's stepping in in my absence. 26 degrees, 18 is the wind chill, mostly cloudy, and a high of 39. Tomorrow we go up to 57. How do you like that? Candle lighting at 516 on this Arab Shabbos. Parshas Tetzaveh. Tuesday is Purim Katan as the calendar continues to move. Unbelievable. Tuesday is Purim Katan. want to thank the Flatbush Jewish Journal. There may be other papers as well that have already printed pictures. I haven't seen them yet. Flatbush Jewish Journal. On page 24 is a couple of great photos from our Jewish Unity Initiative uh, that was uh, presented by Mr. Abe Banda and everybody at Pomegranate. And I want to thank, by the way, Mr. Abe Bandit and <laughs> Mr. Abe uh, Banda and everybody at Pomegranate because uh, yesterday I had the, I was there and uh, while we were there we had the chance to taste some unbelievably delectable dishes. So a big thank you to him. Uh, so page 24 of the FJJ, Flappers Jewish Journal, has some of those photos. I want to thank their editor and their staff. Um, want to wish a mazel tov. There are two ufrufs uh, that someone called in with. Uh, Mayor Simcha Yafin is celebrating an ufruf this Shabbos. Mayor Simcha Yafin, mazel tov to you from all of us here at JMDM. Shuli uh, Statfeld, Shuli Statfeld, celebrating an ufruf. We say mazel tov from all of us here. At JM and the AM. And I want to add um, uh, our good friend Moshe Rapfogel, who's celebrating an offer of this Shabbos. We say Mazal Tov from all of us here at JM and the AM. And a Mazal Tov going out to the Eckstein and Talansky families, a brand new baby girl. Mazal Tov to the Eckstein and Talansky families from all of us here at JM and the AM. And of course to the Carmens and the Shochets, the entire extended family. We say Mazal Tov from all of us here at JM and the AM. More coming up. So we start to wrap things up. By the way, I want to thank everybody who has made the Kosher Halftime Show 2016 such a hit. Almost 14,500 views at this point, which we are very proud of, as is Lipa, of course. He had an incredible performance. Um, so a big thank you to everybody who has been spreading the word and sharing that video and reminding everybody to take a look at it. And if you missed any of our social media photos from... Uh, from Israel or any of uh, yesterday when we were at the Mayanot Yeshiva High School in Teaneck, New Jersey. Uh, make sure to uh, check out the Nahum Siegel Network Facebook update page. Go to facebook.com slash Nahum Siegel Network and you'll see exactly what I mean. Eitan Katz at JM in the AM.
Matan Katz, JM and AM, Friday morning on this era of Shabbos, Parshas Tetzaveh, candle lighting at 516. Time to say good Shabbos with Journeys at JM and AM. Spend the day together with the whole 
Shemayinu Yisrael and Achim Achem, our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Round the world on the web, jmnam.org. Thanks so much for an amazing week here at JM and the AM. My thanks to... Um, Everybody at Mayanot Yeshiva High School for the big greeting and welcome yesterday in Teaneck, New Jersey. Don't forget, coming up next, Naomi Nachman, table for two. She'll be uh, on between 9 and 10, and then our Kedem presentation of the Arab Shabbos music mix follows all the way until candlelighting time. Enjoy our amazing weekend programming at jmdm.org and, of course, on the NSN app. And um, you'll be glad you did. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Great weekend. Till next time, Nachum Sigal reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.